Hey guys, Janine Kenna here with another episode of the Journey to Impact podcast. In this interview, I sat down with author and entrepreneur Jim Griffiths. He's had an incredible journey that took him all the way from the Florida Keys to Alaska, building fishing rods, chasing his dreams of becoming a rock star, and so much more. Since we sat down for this conversation, Jim's been writing the curriculum for his employee engagement program, a half-day workshop for businesses to help their employees learn a solid foundation of people skills, benefiting both the businesses and the employees. Make sure you listen till the end to learn more about that. I know you're going to enjoy Jim's stories as much as I did. We talk about how to attract the right mentor at the right time and how to embrace the characteristics and traits of entrepreneurial thinking by trying something different every day. He's passionate about finding better ways of thinking and is focused on paying it forward to the next generation. Thanks for listening and enjoy the journey. Hey, Jim. Thanks so much for being on the podcast. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thank you. I'm loving this cold weather we're having. Yeah, I'm not. (laughs) But it's still better (laughs) than New Jersey. Oh, yeah. Um, So I recently had the pleasure of reading your book, Don't Tell Me I Can't Do It. Um, It's about adopting the traits of an entrepreneur. You had some really great stories in there, and I particularly love the first story you tell about how you discovered the entrepreneur, excuse me, entrepreneurial mindset. Um, can you share that story with us? Yeah, the uh, that story itself was, as far as I know, the first time I I caught myself thinking like an entrepreneur thinks. You know, when we think of entrepreneurism, everybody gears towards business and they think about accounting and finance and all the complexities. But I look at it more of a mindset, more of like the habits and behaviors, the characteristics of that person that's that's the entrepreneur. And that story was about me fishing off the dock when I was a little kid in the Keys and how there were lots of little fish and everybody could catch them, but nobody could catch the bigger ones. And I kept trying something different every day. And I consulted with the guy that owned the tackle shop across the street. I remember even dragging a plant out on the dock and hiding behind it, thinking if I can if I can see them, maybe they can see me. And I don't know <laughs> if it worked or not, but about six months later, I put a huge fish on the dock and all the neighbors, they of course, you know, said, Oh, you got lucky and you know, that's that was a one time thing. But I was consistently catching bigger fish because I learned how to make it happen. And I saw that as entrepreneurial thinking because most people would just do things the way other people do it. And maybe complain one day that they never got their big break, but they never learned how to think of of a different way to do things and how to make something happen. So I think that was the first time in my life that I sparked the concept of entrepreneurial thinking, which is to me, finding a better way to do something. Right. And then you also got that reaction from the people that most entrepreneurs who spark onto some new thinking get of, oh, you just got lucky. Don't you love that? Right. (laughs) No, I I get that a lot and that's okay. I mean, if it were luck, it, it would be happening to more people. So that's exactly, you know, I, I believe in luck. I think it's there and I'm, I'd rather be lucky than good many days But sure. at the same time to be consistent. It's, there's more than luck. Yes. And I think it also changed the way people looked at you because you were so young. I mean, you were starting your own business at the ripe old age of 13. Yeah, that, that was, <laughs> um, that was interesting. I, I had a, a, I was fascinated with the concept of making custom vision rods. The guy that helped me catch that big fish also built rods. It was Charlie Rowell and Key Largo and I would go with him to a shop after school almost every day and I'd watch him through the glass and I'd watch him make the fishing rods and I'd watch him weave the threads and put the epoxies on. And I, I went home one day and I cut the guides off my dad's fishing rod with a kitchen knife and I tried to rewrap them with sewing thread and I used my sister's nail polish to seal the threads. <laughs> and I brought it back to Charlie and I said, hey, look what I did. And he was pretty puzzled. He says, you did this watching me through the glass after school. And we didn't know each other at the time. And I said, yeah, how'd I do? And, and I didn't quite pass inspection, but he showed me how to do it right. He took me behind the counter and showed me how. And then I went home and I redid it the right way. He gave me the tools to do it right. I got it done before my dad caught me and found out what I did to his fishing rod. <laughs> <laughs> 
And then I brought it back to him and Charlie was amazed again. He says, wow, you did this really good. And he showed me a couple of tricks of how to do it a little bit better. And then he ended up giving me his repair jobs so he could focus on custom rods. So I learned how to do things by him mentoring me and showing me how to do it. And then I ended up starting a business when I was 13 by making a custom rod for my boss at the boat rentals at Penny Camp Park that wanted a specific fishing rod. And I made it for him. I bought the parts off Charlie. And instead of looking at me as a competitor, Charlie was selling me rod parts. And eventually I moved out of the keys and I ended up giving Charlie all of the business that I had generated. So it was a, it was a great win-win. But you know what? Being in business for yourself and the, at the age of 13 in the Florida Keys, what a life. No complaints there. Yeah, right? Loved it. I'm sure my son Spike would be jealous. He's 11. That sounds like something he would love to be doing. Oh, right yeah, now. <laughs> it's uh, totally doable. I don't know what the labor laws are now on owning a business or being <laughs> an employee, you know, this in this day and age. But it sure was great at that time. So we have uh, Jim's two huge Doberman pinchers joining us for this podcast. So if you hear a barker squeak, that's what's going on. <laughs> yeah, I've got a 105 and a 120, and then a parrot that pretty much rules the house. He'll put them in their place if they get out of hand. <laughs> it's always the small one that rules oh, yeah. the most. The big babies. <laughs> um, so Charlie was really your first mentor. Uh, he guided you along your path. So you've had others along the way, I'm sure. And, and now you're getting the chance to do that for other people. You know, mentorship's a funny thing. I, I, I was recently asked at a, a high school class I was doing a talk with. It was a kid that he had a lot of questions and I was grateful for that because younger people don't seem to raise their hand a lot. They don't want to hide behind their phone and not really engage. But this kid was asking all kinds of questions and one of them was, what's the secret to finding a good mentor? And, and that was an interesting question coming from a 16 or 17-year-old kid. And my answer to him was that I don't think you find one. I think they find you. I think a good mentor is going to be attracted to your characteristics or something you say or do. I think they'll see something in you. And the opposite of that is if somebody is qualified to be a good mentor, but they see something in you that shows you're immature or not ready for it or something about your character, they may not share with you. So you probably crossed paths with great mentors many times, but maybe it just wasn't ready. So to answer your question um, about the concept of having mentorship in your life, I don't think you, I don't think you can find one. I think you, you attract them and then it starts rubbing off on you and then you become one without even realizing it. Right. It's like that. People start asking you, how do I do this? How do I do that? And you think I'm not qualified to answer that, but you are. Right. It's like that quote. I don't know who said it first, but I've heard it many times when the student is ready, the teacher appears. Correct. That's exactly where that quote came from. That's, that's what I was thinking of as you were asking it or as you were saying that, because if, if you're not ready to, to have a mentor, they're going to sense it and they're just not going to share. And maybe they'll just wait till you are. So right. I, I think we attract our own mentors in our life and then it becomes a reflection of who we are. Yeah, I think you're spot on with that. So tell me more about what you are doing in the schools. The schools have been fun. For the last couple of years, I've been volunteering in a high school business class. They call it an entrepreneur program, but I don't, I don't really agree with that myself. I, I look at it as a, just a hardcore business class. I see entrepreneurism more characteristic than it is you know, the, the technical facets of a business. But this has been interesting because the, the teacher understands that too. And he gets me to teach the kids the psychological side of entrepreneurism, what goes on in life with challenges and struggles and how you hit a wall that other people have hit and how you get through it. And now I'm learning business from a high school business class, the stuff I never learned as a kid. So it's been a real win-win. So I've done that for a couple of years, and I love it. It's a, it's a long drive, but I commit one day a week to that, and it's been very educational. It's just been super. I mean, at the age of 50, I'm back in high school, which I never, <laughs> I never went to school, so this is a good win for me. <laughs> and learning from them is they're learning from you. So win-win-win all around. 
I still get text messages from high school kids a couple of years ago that are sending a note like, you know, thanks. I remember this talk you did about this and this, and I got a promotion at work because of it. And I'm thinking, who is this? You know, <laughs> but it's, it's so nice to think that you affected someone and didn't even know it. Right. That's, that's what the mentorship is. You pass it on and don't even know it sometimes. That's awesome. So your story started out as a kid growing up in the Keys. Um, and from what I've gotten to know of you over the last few months since we met, you've really made a life out of pursuing your dreams and that that's gotten to bring you a lot of places, including my good old home state of New Jersey. Uh, if I remember correctly, you told me you've been as far away as Alaska. So from the keys, that's really freaking far. Well, you know, New Jersey was, <laughs> my dad wanted me to go into business and or no, my mom wanted me to go into business. Dad wanted me to go into the military. So I, I started with the military. I was 17 when I enrolled in the Coast Guard and I was 17 when I got out of the Coast Guard. <laughs> I lasted <laughs> about two weeks. You know, I, I just wasn't ready for discipline at the time. So I ended up going back to the keys and that's when I saw this Bon Jovi video and I was, I think I had just turned 18 and I developed a fantasy of just being a rock star. And later I realized you didn't want to be a rock star. You saw the attention he was getting on the stage. That's what I was craving because I didn't get it as a kid. But a month after I saw that video, I landed in Sacramento, California and said, okay, where's John? I found out, well, he's in Jersey. That was 3,000 miles away, but I'm here. Let's go. So I grew my hair down to my waist. I played in a rock band and a couple of years later realized, okay, you're doing this for the wrong reason. This isn't what you're supposed to be doing. And I was grateful I realized that, but I was also grateful I got it out of my system. So I ended up in Dutch Harbor, Alaska, because that was the closest place I could think of to make enough money to come back to Florida and pursue something. I just right. knew that I wasn't, I didn't belong there. Right. I watched the guys work there, made a lot of money, worked four months, went to Mexico for eight, had a good time. But what do you do when you're 50? You know, I mean, sooner or later, this is going to catch up to you. So I realized, get in and get out. So I made a few bucks in Alaska and came back here and went into business and, uh, it's again attracted great mentors as soon as I got back to town and they taught me all kinds of stuff I didn't know the first one was he said get a yardstick and he walked away and I thought all right that's got to mean something he was on his way to a meeting so I found him later and he went through the story of the yardstick he said you asked me what came to mind about going into business and he said the first thing that came to mind was people don't measure where they are they don't ever look at where they're at they go into business they work hard and they go through 80 hour weeks and Five years later, they don't realize what works and what doesn't because they don't stop to measure what they're doing. And that was one of 500 things I learned from business mentors is always measure where you're at. Know where you're doing, what, what you're doing and where you're at and if it's working or not or what isn't working. And so that's, again, mentorship. Yeah. I can't believe what we've learned from other people if we're willing to listen and pay attention. Yeah, that, that's a good point. I've, I've um, been learning a lot about tracking and metrics myself lately. And, and I, I have found, like you just said, if you're not measuring where you're going, where you came from, how can you possibly know how far you've came? How can you possibly oh, know yeah. if you're growing, it's if a, you're going in the right direction? Things can be just a bunch of clutter and you don't even realize what's there and what's working and what isn't. You, you got to find a way to measure what you're doing. Yeah. Well, Sometimes you, we don't want to measure because we're afraid of what we're going to see. Yeah. Well, let the fear motivate you, you know? Exactly. Yeah. You can't, you can't be afraid of results. Well, it's okay to be afraid of it, but I'd say face the fear and do it anyway. Like, that's not my quote. I mean, I've heard that a thousand times, but a lot of people hide from something that scares them. And I think that's why they don't measure things. They're afraid of what they're going to see. Right. Households don't do a budget because they're afraid of looking at it and saying, <laughs> okay, we're spending 30% more than we're making. And that'll freak people out. But if you don't realize it and get it in your face, you don't come up with a solution to it. Yep. You're absolutely right. I think I got to go home and make a budget now. <laughs> <laughs> um, we so, should all do that. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> So you brought up a good point a minute ago. Um, what do you do when you're 50? You, you've built a lot of businesses over the years. What is your current passion now? Well, my passion has never been business. And like I was saying about high schools, I'm glad I went there and, and learned about business because I saw so many things that I could do different and make it you know, to solidify my own projects. 
You know, something's coming to mind as we're talking, and it was at a dinner I was at a couple weeks ago with some friends, and one of the guys, I told him we were getting a second place up in Georgia, and he says, oh, you're going to work up there? What are you going to do for work? And, and as soon as he said that, I thought people automatically think about work. Mm-hmm. And when I, when I said, when I told him I wasn't planning on it, and he says, well, what are you going to do for money? And this is what caused this conversation with him was, I thought people go to work because they, they want money, but I don't know anybody that works that has any money. Yeah, good point. So that's why I'm saying I never associated my passions to, to business or work. I see that as this is how you make money, but your passion is something different. Right. And I see so many people dive into their career and that make that their passion, but it's not getting them where they want to go and they don't realize your passion will get you where you want to go. So what is your passion? And to answer your question, my passion is to, to find a way to share everything I learned from all the mentors that I got it from. That's a passion. And, and if you do something like that, well, you can end up making money with it. So it all ties together. Right. I love that. So I, I think you and I have that in common. My, I think my passion right now is building relationships and getting to know people and connecting people together um, who can help each other grow their passions. Now, that alone is going to be worth a ton of money. But if you focus only on the money, it doesn't happen. Exactly. It's kind of weird how people, when they, when they focus on making money, it doesn't seem to work. But when you focus on your passion and get really good at what you do and master whatever your craft is, all of a sudden, look, look at all the money I'm making. Wow, how did that work? It wasn't <laughs> luck like we talked about at yeah. first. It's because you're focusing in the wrong place. I don't think enough people focus on what they're passionate about. Or perhaps they over-focus on what they're passionate about and don't focus on their finances or business. So maybe that can go into balance. But right. my passion right now is to, to, to collect everything I've learned from everybody I have and find a way to pass that on because of the benefit I get from hearing younger kids thank me for stuff. And, you know, last week I ran into someone that sent me an email that said, thanks for everything you said and everything we talked about. I'm moving back to Arizona. I'm doing this. I'm, I'm thinking, who is this? <laughs> and then I traced it back to someone I met at a trade show that we were just talking and she suffered a divorce and lost the house and everything was falling apart. We were just sitting there talking. And then she went on and I was talking with other people and I forgot we met, but she took my card and what we had talked about just through the things I wrote about and just things we both shared with each other of losses in our past, something triggered her to say, okay, I'm done feeling sorry for myself. Right. And I'm going to, I'm going to face the wind and I'm going to lean into it. That's and awesome. she's been suffering for a year of not depression, but just feeling sorry for herself mm-hmm. and something triggered in our conversation and I didn't even know it happened. So what can you do when you don't even know it happened? Now, now what could you do if you knew it was happening? Right. So, you know, I don't, I don't want to dive into that too deep because I got to worry about myself too. We, we should all focus on our own needs before we can help anybody else. But at the same time, my passion is going to be going out there and saying, okay, what can I help you to lead you in that direction? Now realizing it's a full circle. Yeah, certainly. So you've done a lot of growing over the years as all of us should have. Yeah, I've got a long way to go. <laughs> yeah. But hey, listen, if you stop growing, you're not living anymore. Yes, I agree with that. So if you could go back to yourself as that kid on the docks trying to figure out how to catch the big fish, what advice would you give yourself? What advice would I give myself? You know what? I, I think I would just sit there and smile and not say anything because what that little kid did was exactly what he needed to do. Nobody handed it to him. No one gave it to him. He earned it. He worked for it. He, he ignored the neighbors that were criticizing and ridiculing him and saying, you can't do it. That was the name of the book. Don't tell me I can't do it. And I think I would sit back and hide and just smile and say, just keep doing exactly what you're doing. <laughs> you suffered, you struggled, you, you, you went through what I call the tube. You know, you got to yeah. be willing to go through that tube and, and what's on the other side is what you want. But if you're not willing to go through it. So interesting question, because I don't think I would give him any advice. 
I think I think I would just let him do exactly what he's doing. I love that. I think that's a great answer. You know, I I often one of my big things that I try to share with people and to instill in my kids is that you have to learn from every experience you've had. You know, experiences aren't positive and negative so much. They're a chance for learning. And I always say, you know, I'm 38. I like who I am right now. Am I perfect? God, no. I don't, I don't want to be. But everything that's brought me here is what made me who I am today. Like Absolutely. You just said, you know, so if you go back and change one thing, you change who you are. Right. Every, it all, it's all cumulative. But what you, something you said in there made me think about it, of learning from things you've been through. There was a bait shop I worked at when I was in my middle teens. It was in Homestead. And most of the people that worked there complained because we had to go up. So you get up in the early in the morning and hand out shrimp and work in this bait shop and you're tired. The owner of this shop was the most entrepreneurial thinker that I've ever been around in my life. He was constantly finding a better way to make the shop work. And I wrote a whole chapter about it. It was A-OK Bait and Tackle in Homestead. I'm surprised how many people have heard of that or shop there mm-hmm. that knew about it because it's on its way to the Keys. This guy would, would look at every single facet of the business and we think he's staring at a wall having a senior moment or something, but he's watching things happen in the store and he's finding a better way to do it. And we sold 10 to 12, 13, 14,000 shrimp on a Saturday morning when the only competitor next door was a block away, mm-hmm. sold maybe 2,000 on the whole weekend. We had cars lined up down Chrome Avenue because they like shopping in this store. He made them want to come. Right. And when I see this, I think of the difference between an entrepreneur and a business owner. And, and how the entrepreneur is always finding a better way to do something where the business owner is just saying, it's just business. You just go in, you clock in, you do this, you do that. You put the stuff on the shelf and it's business. The entrepreneur finds a better way to do it. And that's what this guy did. And when I was working there, while other people were complaining, I was learning. They earned a paycheck, got four bucks an hour, whatever we were getting paid at the time. And then they went home. I looked at it as I would have done this for free because I what I learned working there watching this guy. Right. And everything I learned from him, I realized... He, he found a better way to sell ice. He found a better way to count shrimp that was faster and more accurate. You count shrimp wrong, you're losing money. Every single facet of that business, he fine-tuned. And I learned how to think like an entrepreneur watching him. And I look at where I can take that for the rest of my life because of what I learned from this guy. And, and, and how you, what you were just saying, you don't just live it. You learn from it. And you find a way to go and apply it to your life. And, and applying it's a whole new level. Yeah. <laughs> Living it, learning it, but then applying it's a whole different thing. Yes. People say, well, how do you do things different? I don't know what that means. Well, you practice, I guess, like a bicycle, you know? Yeah. But if you don't learn to do things different, today is as good as you're ever going to have it. So you, you've got to stop somewhere and say, okay, what can I do different? And not to divert too far from your question, but it, it was about experience in it versus learning from it and applying it. Right. And I, I, and I have to credit everything in my life to where... I experienced things other people experienced too, but instead of just living it and going home and going back to sleep, I learned from it and I found a way to put it to work in my own life. Yeah. And I think mine was out of survival. And that makes all the difference. Oh, big time. Huge difference. And people today are exposed to, you know, principles of how to make things happen. They're just not seeing that as, wow, look at that lesson. They're just seeing it as something that happened. Bringing that up was a really interesting topic. You helped me understand something a little better. Yeah. Ditto. Same same for me. I'm glad that came up. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. All right, Jim. So what's next on your horizon? You know, what's next? I've got something weekly I'm working on called Awaken the Entrepreneur Within. It's like a weekly think tank that meets that I'm learning more from than the people that attend. It's it's free. I even bring a cooler of waters for people. The hospital locally donated a room for us to use. It's a, a night meeting room and it can hold over 100 people. But 
I'm getting a lot out of this because I'm, it's helping me understand what's working for people and what isn't. And I'm using that to write a curriculum for an employee engagement program, which I want to teach statewide. I want to, I want to create something that's kind of a crash course in how to be a more efficient employee that's going to help the, the company and the employee. Right? we got companies blaming the world on we can't find good help. And we got employees saying, oh, the company treats me bad. And they're just arguing back and mm-hmm. forth. And there's no solution there. Yeah. If we can find a way to join them together, I think that'll help stabilize a lot of things. And there's a huge market for it out there. I've also recently been accepted into the Freemasons organization. So that's going to take a couple of years of hard work to, to move up to the, you know, the level of actually being a Mason. And I'm working on a new book that's called Because... And its focus is going to be how we believe this or we think this or we like this because, and if you think of why do I like this? Why do I support that politician? Why do I like that person or not like that person? And if you think of why, as in I like them because, or even businesses could use this in marketing, do business with us because, and if you can find your because and find out what the reason is that you believe something or think something or want something it can make you stop and realize, wait a second, maybe I don't like that person or maybe I do like that politician. Or it, People don't know what their because is. We're living in a fast-paced world where we don't know what's going on in front of us. And stop and think of, okay, I'm doing this because, I'm working here because, I'm married to that person because. And I want to write a whole book about we think and believe this because. I love that. And make people stop to think, okay, why do I do what I do? All right, so <laughs> what's we're your because? We're definitely going to have to check back in in a couple of months. And, no, it'll uh, be more than that. Update. Well, hey, however long We it can takes. do an update. I'll have the, I'll have the, uh, the table of contents maybe by then. <laughs> so, hey, listen, you got to start somewhere. Right. Right? That's where every book starts. Yep. One word. Right. Um, so where can people find out what more about this? What's the best way for them to contact you and... Everything I do is through one website, and it's thethirddraft.org, the third draft. And the name of that is something I just had to go one day. I had to make up a name. <laughs> and I, I was watching a TV show that was political, and it was a speechwriter looking for that third draft. And I realized the first draft could be scratch notes on a napkin. The second one is what most people sell for. That third one is when you fine-tune it and make it just perfect to where now this is what I want. Right. So I just thought of the name, hey, third draft. That sounds pretty cool. But then I started thinking of sports. That's bad. You don't want to be on third draft. <laughs> no. so, but that means I don't have any competitor. You know, no one's using the name. So so the thethirddraft.org, and it's a, it's a nonprofit organization, which is really there's no such thing. Every organization has to profit. They've got bills to pay. But the facet of this organization that's nonprofit is that I want to make the community workshops available for free where anybody can come to them. Okay. And it's uh, self-funded by local businesses and they help me pay for anything I need to pay for because they see that I'm reaching younger people and helping them learn to learn to think for themselves. Great. Teaching them how to set goals and the importance of accountability with other people. And Absolutely. Stuff. Things are not getting in school. It's not the school's fault, but it's just, it's just not out there. Right. It just yeah. is what it is at this yeah. point. So the third draft.org is the only way the, the, the contact for me. All right. And they they're really the only thing I maintain anymore. We're too scattered with social media and all these hundreds of ways of contacting people. All I right. stick to a website. Well, I'll, and make, I'll make sure we uh, we link to the website. Good. And all of uh, the show notes and Super. on Facebook and everything. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Great. You got any questions for me, Jim? No. It was a, a pleasure talking with you. I appreciate you having me, and, and uh, welcome to Florida. You got to be you. loving this. <laughs> I, oh yeah. It's, uh, it's a little nippy up in Jersey. Yeah. I've been I'll watching the six, weather. I'll take sixty-five degrees over six degrees oh, any yeah. day. <laughs> and, uh, I saw something this morning with Anchorage. It was like minus twenty-seven or something. I'm oh, thinking, you yeah. know what? I can complain about the hot and cold here that all day long. That makes me cold but, just thinking about oh, it. Oh <laughs> yeah, it just it would hurt your jaw. All right. Thank, <laughs> Thank you, you very much, me. Jim. We will talk again soon. Thank you.